most people, even myself included, um, has a, a tendency to kind of get in our in our heads during sex. And um, so while we're touching ourselves or touching someone else or being touched, quite often we're not paying attention to the touch. We're actually thinking about, you know, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? Uh, what does my face look like? Am I sweating too much? I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. This is the first episode of 2017, you guys, so I decided to start things off with something exciting. We have got uh, another two-part sex-related episode here for you to kick off 2017. So recently, we had the sex worker episode. This is going to be quite different. In uh, today's episode and the next episode, we will be speaking with Amy Baldwin, who owns a sex shop called Pure Pleasure Sex Shop in Santa Cruz, California, and she is also a certified sex educator. So at her sex shop, she's sells toys, books, all kinds of cool stuff. And then she also does in-person classes. And then she has online sex education as well um, with all kinds of stuff um, relating to your sex life, like uh, Blowjob 101, uh, How to Drive a Vulva, um, let's see here, Intermediate Rope Bondage, uh, Female Bliss, Sexual Pleasure 101. So all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, And then she also has a sex column where she answers people's questions. So that is the point of today's episode. And Thursday's episode is for Amy to answer your questions. So prior to this uh, interview, you guys sent in your sex-related questions, and I basically just asked them to Amy over the course of these next two episodes. So in today's episode, part one, we will be asking all of the questions that came in from women for the most part. And then on Thursday's episode, we will be asking all the questions that came in from men that listen to the show. Um, So without further ado, we'll just get right into the questions. Here is Sex Educator. Amy, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me, Blake. Yeah, absolutely. So before we jump into the questions that people have sent in, I would love if you could tell us a little bit about your background and sort of what it is that got you into the world of sex and like at what age and, and what sort of was the catalyst for this? Yeah, it all started at age 18. I took a human sexuality class at my community college here and had the worst professor ever, meaning that they had no passion about the topic. They even had announced to our our, our class that they had been celibate for 10 years and they were still recommending the <laughs> diaphragm to college age women, wow. uh, which Planned Parenthood doesn't even do these days. And, um, and yet I still loved every single second of that class. I loved every textbook I read. I love all the material. I loved all of her boring lectures. I just really felt, um, felt like it was my calling. And also I knew that if I was going to continue to go to school for so many years, that I might as well go to school for something that I loved. And, and, and I also had a knack for kind of being that go-to resource for friends to come to with their sex questions and, uh, kind of always spoke very openly and shame free, probably based on my lovely upbringing from my mother uh, (laughs) about sexuality. So that got me started on the path. And then I decided I would go to, to school to major in psychology and minor in human sexuality. And, 
And my intention was to become a sex therapist. And, um, but what ended up happening along the way was we went on a class field trip to good vibrations in San Francisco. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of the pioneers for sex positive adult stores. And, um, and my mom was looking for a business investment at the time. And so, um, I saw that and and we didn't really have a store like that in Santa Cruz, you know, one that provided sex education classes and was more of like a go-to resource as opposed to just like a retail store. And I said, mom, this is what we should do. And she was like, really? Okay. But she, you know, she was open to it. And, um, of course, no one believed us. And you tell your friends you're opening a sex shop. They're like, that's not happening. But it did. <laughs> so two years later, we opened up the store and um, continued on with that in kind of the retail path. And then also starting to teach sex ed classes in my store. Mm-hmm. And um, through that, learned that I'm not exactly interested in becoming a sex therapist primarily out of selfish reasons because I don't want to <laughs> take on so much people's trauma and pain where I have to have my own therapist absolutely because uh, it's it's heavy work and what I'm more interested in is giving people the tools to enhance their sexual health and well-being you know get them from where they are now and where they're stuck now and then get them moving forward to where they want to be and uh, the retail store provides that the education classes provide that and then I am also now a somatic sex and relationship coach where I do work with uh, people, men, women, couples, all kinds of, all genders, uh, one-on-one, uh, in a private setting. And we go a little bit into past stuff. Of course, there's some trauma stuff in there because everyone has some sort of trauma and shame. And, um, but for the most part, it is really working on getting people to where they want to go, getting them unstuck. So I wear many hats in this industry. <laughs> That's really, really cool, man. And that, and that was such a nice comprehensive, uh, answer to that question that answered so many other questions that I wanted to ask you as well. <laughs> so, I would love to know it's just kind of like a blanket question before we get started with some more of the listener questions. Is how you said like, you know, people feeling uh, stuck in with where they're at in their sex life or this or that. I, I would imagine that, that something that happens for a lot of people, therefore, in this underlying issue with almost any question that people would bring up to you is wondering if they are normal. You know, like, okay, I'm not having enough sex is is that okay or i'm having too much sex is that okay or i'm like this when i have sex is that okay and so i um i guess i would wonder like well first of all i guess yeah is is that like the primary thing that people kind of come to you with are these questions of like am am i normal in some way yeah i think i get a lot of that and it's phrased in different different ways with what people think their their faults and flaws are because you know we do live in a society that has a very specific model for how sexuality should be. And um, our education system doesn't teach us the variations of sexuality, nor does it teach us the acceptance around it. And so, yeah, people are constantly questioning themselves. And uh, a lot of them have experienced past shame from a partner and uh, or peers or what, whoever it is that has made them think that there's something wrong with them. And um, and so then they're, you know, they're coming to me with that. So I think I would say that, yes, that is one of the more common general questions phrased in many different ways, as well as uh, I feel like desire is a big issue for women um, in in that they are kind of forced to live in a male-centric model for sexuality, meaning where 
Uh, Testosterone-driven individuals generally can feel more arousal and desire more quickly or more often than estrogen-driven individuals. And this isn't everyone, of course. I know plenty of women that are horny all the time. But a lot of them, uh, especially when they're in long-term relationships and they see that they no longer have this like lusty, spontaneous sex drive, which which happens no matter what your sex or gender is for most people in new relationships because it's exciting, it's new. Mm-hmm. And then once we start to habituate to our partner, that fades. And uh, for estrogen-driven individuals, so um, more so women, they start to question themselves. Why am I not spontaneously horny anymore? What's wrong with me? My partner is and I'm not. And, um, and so, so my work with them is reminding them that sex drive actually is more of an active uh, response. I believe it's Amy Jo Goddard is a, um, another amazing sexual empowerment coach and educator who talks about, um, spontaneous versus responsive sex drives and that, uh, most of our sex drives are responsive. We create it. We are active um, participants in stoking our own fire. And if we don't do it and we're just like relying on it to naturally happen on its own or relying on someone else to do it, quite often it doesn't happen anymore. So desire is a really big thing that I'm working with, um, with people both in the retail store and in my somatica practice. That's cool. So both at the same time, you can help people um, go maybe towards some goal that they have of, let's say, um, having sex more often or feeling more desire or whatever it is. But at the same time, like massaging their fears of like, oh, I'm screwed up because I'm not having sex enough. It's Mm -hmm. like, no, that's, it's all good. You know? Yeah. You're normal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And whatever normal means you're that. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So, um, all right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and start in with all the uh, different listener questions and stuff that I got. So, um, the first half of this episode is going to be questions from women. Then we will do a second episode that will be questions from men. So we will go ahead and start with the questions from women. So the first question that I have here, so most of these, by the way, to all the listeners, um, these are like paraphrased, um, for the most part, there's one at the very end of the men's questions that is is very complicated so i did not bother paraphrasing that one but uh most of these are just is paraphrased as best as i could so uh first question it is very difficult for me to orgasm during sex but i always orgasm while i am masturbating what can i and my partner do to help yes this is a very common uh, common question i would say the first thing to check is uh, are you in your body? Meaning, are you present? And uh, most people, even myself included, um, has a, t- a tendency to kind of get in our in our heads during sex. And um, so while we're touching ourselves or touching someone else or being touched, quite often we're not paying attention to the touch. We're actually thinking about, you know, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? Uh, what does my face look like? Am I sweating too much? Am I taking <laughs> too long? Am I not taking long enough? What am I need the sounds? What am I going to have for breakfast? I have to do my laundry. Oh my God, I have so much homework. You know, all of that stuff that's not even related to what's happening that, to the actual touch. And so people completely miss out on the pleasure and the sensations um, that is actually happening right there because they're so in their heads and they're so not present in their bodies. So when it comes to masturbating, quite often we don't have all of those insecurities popping up because we're alone. And, um, and so the monkey mind doesn't usually run as rampant. And on top of that, we kind of know how to pleasure ourselves or not everyone, but a lot of people know what their body likes. And so it's easy to just give themselves whatever it is that they need. Uh, So the first thing I would say is to really pay attention to your thought process as you are playing with your partner and 
to notice where your mind goes and to see if you can bring it back to the actual touch. Like, what does it feel like as my partner rubs my nipples or has their lips on my clitoris and really staying with each sensation. And when the mind wanders to just notice, it really is a meditation. Like when the mind wanders as it does to just notice that and then bring it back to the sensations. Um, and you might notice that you're able to feel more and have more pleasure and in turn more orgasms. Um, because you're all of a sudden present in your body and you've turned off that internal dialogue. Cool. So yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like probably the best practice for this would just be straightforward meditation, like not sex-related meditation, but just meditation every day or something where you're trying to bring yourself back into your body while also not chastising yourself for like, oh man, my mind wandered again. I'm such an idiot, you know, because then you can start that cycle all over again, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, creating a daily meditation practice is meditation on its own, you know, focusing on the breath or whatever your meditation practice is, will help, will help you to have those skills to bring into the bedroom. And then also treating sex as a form of meditation, meaning all, and of course, you're not like meditation where you're sitting in a meditation posture, but just the act of just focusing on one thing. And that is the sensation. Okay. Cool. Love it. Mm -hmm. um, let's move on to question two. Is it possible to pee during sex? Um, and what's the deal with female ejaculation? And how will I know the difference between this and pee? Ah, yes, this one. There's so much controversy around this. I, I love how is, is everything specifically around female sexuality. There's so much controversy about um, science saying that it's not real. Like female ejaculation isn't real. And I think that was like a Vice magazine thing that was based on another study that said there was like a study of seven women and that they concluded that they were all just peeing in this very, very small sample. And, seven yes, people. Yeah, That's great. It was like seven people. And, yeah. um, and then, you know, the G spot G area that, that has come and gone and you were like, it's real. It's not, it's real. It's not. And you know, I think it was like 200 years ago, the clitoris actually was decided that it wasn't around either. Like it wasn't real. So, Oh my God, that's great. Um, pretty sure it's all male researchers just saying yeah. that, um, yeah, female ejaculation. So well, peeing during sex, it's really hard to, it's it really, really hard for you to just like let go of that muscle when your other muscles are working and your other muscles are kind of like tightening and flexing and tightening and flexing. So it's really unlikely unless you had like extreme, you know, weak muscles or is it incontinence where it's just really hard for you to hold urine in, in general, like the people who pee a little when they laugh and things like that, then maybe it, they could. But for most people, no, you most, most of the time, that's not what's going to happen. And female ejaculation, while it does come out of the urethra, the same place as urine, which is the same for men too, like, like, um, male ejaculate comes out of the urethra, same place as urine as well. Mm -hmm. And, and, but it, it, what's happening there for female ejaculation is there's a spongy tissue, the urethral sponge, which is also the G spot G area that surrounds the urethra to protect it and um, what it does when you're aroused is blood fills up in the genitals and when blood fills up that means there's water in your blood if you're dehydrated it, this is actually less likely to happen so you need to be hydrated for this to happen and so when the blood fills up and if you're hydrated enough the sponge actually pulls water out of your bloodstream into it's like a what do you call it it diffuses the water from your bloodstream on a, on a cellular level fills up this sponge as you get aroused. And then as you press into it, usually from G-spot stimulation, so internal stimulation, or from external stimulation, 
of the clitoris uh, is particularly if you use a really strong vibrator like a Hitachi magic wand or something that's really powerful that could penetrate deep inside of you um, through the vibrations, then it, what it does is, is it stimulates that area and actually um, with, with orgasm or without orgasm, you can actually ejaculate not even as a part of the orgasmic response just as, as a nice release. Um, that part of you can actually expel fluid and it will come out of the urethra and um, the ejaculation. And Okay, interesting. So unlike a man, the ejaculation is not directly tied to the orgasm. Like it, one no. could happen without the other. You know, for men, actually, for men, it doesn't have to be tied to the, org- to the orgasm either. For a lot of, for men, when they were younger, um, like when they were at the younger age before puberty, when um, they could experience pleasure and orgasm, but they couldn't physically yet ejaculate yet. Like they actually didn't have, um, the, everything wasn't prepared in their body because they were so young to be able to do that. They were, um, you know, young boys can actually have orgasms. They can experience a lot of pleasure, but nothing huh. comes out of them when that happens. And then once they start to be able to produce, you know, the sperm and all the things that can actually move together to make the ejaculation, then they go hand in hand and they usually live the rest of their life keeping them hand in hand when, um, and then later if they choose to, they can learn to separate them, which is something that like books like the multi-orgasmic man talks about. Wow. I can't uh, even imagine. And so for women, it's pretty similar. It's just that, um, that for a lot of women, what happens is either they ejaculate once and they get scared because they don't know what it is and they turn the muscles off and they're subconsciously doing this. It's kind of like a, just a tightening that they don't really know that they're doing. Um, and then they don't ejaculate anymore or they ejaculate and they're like, woo, ejaculation. They just keep doing it and it's fabulous. Um, or they just like magically discover it at some point later on in life because some magic fingers know how to stimulate the, the G spot the right way. Um, but it is something that, uh, all, all women have the ability to do for the most part, all women have the ability to do a lot of them just haven't learned how to do it because it really is about, um, relaxing the muscles, getting rid of shame. Um, there's, there's a lot of components there, but, um, everyone has the ability to do it. And, it is different than pee because when, if you look at pee, first of all, when you start to pee, it's really hard to stop. It's really, really hard to stop. When you ejaculate, it comes out in like little gushes. It's more gushing than, than squirting unless you have really strong muscles, but it's very different from the way, the way urine flows out of the body. Urine flows and it flows in massive amounts and it's like hard to pull back. And with ejaculate, it just usually comes out in little spurts. It's like little squirts of it. And um, it's a very different process, different feeling. The color is different. The consistency is different. The smell is different. Um, I mean, it usually won't have a lot of um, a, a color to it. Now, because it's moving through the urethra, there might be a little bit of urea, so like urine traces in it because there is, I mean, if you just peed right before that, yeah, there's probably some urine still left in the urethra. Same with men. If, yeah, a, man, if totally. a man pees and then ejaculates, there will be urine in his ejaculate. It's the same thing. All right. So let's uh, cover two, jump to two other questions really quick. One of these is actually yeah. from the men's side, but um, it's very similar to a question on the women's side. So I'll just ask them all together. And they're all relating to the G spot since we were just talking okay. about that. So the men's question is, do all women have uh, the G spot in the same place? And what are some tips for hitting it? The women's question is, how do I know if my G spot is being hit? And if I am having a G spot orgasm or a regular orgasm? 
Yeah, so I, that's why I like to call a G spot a G area because everyone is so different, and it really isn't just like one little spot that you could draw on a map and and find. Um, so it's like an area, and it's kind of like a textured tissue um, on the top part, so like towards the navel, towards the belly button of um, of the vagina, and it's not that far in. It's like a half a finger's length in. And actually, if a woman was aroused and opened her legs and pushed out, like like pushed out, um, kind of bearing down, you could actually see. For a lot of women, you can see G spot, G area tissue, kind of like like through the vaginal opening there. So it really isn't that far in, and and. So I wouldn't say it's in the same place for everyone, but for the most part, it is only about a half a finger's length in. And the vagina, the vaginal canal, uh, as we, so as women get aroused, it actually increases in length. So the G area moves, you know, it moves and stretches. You know, if they're not aroused, it's closer to the vaginal opening. When they're aroused, it starts to stretch back. You usually don't want to put anything inside of a woman unless they're aroused because it doesn't feel that good. Um, so yeah, and tips for hitting it, and um, you, because it's up and in towards the pubic bone, that means that you're kind, of, you're kind of curving up and in. So that's why a lot of people reference this kind of come hither, like come here finger motion, like hooking your fingers <laughs> yeah. up towards the navel. And um, you can do that and kind of do like a pulling back and forth with, and I always recommend using either two fingers or one finger and no matter what, using the flats of your fingers and not the points because nobody likes creepy pokey finger. It just doesn't really <laughs> um, yeah, don't want to get scratched also, in there. Yeah. Do you want to get scratched? You want to get poked and you can also, and other than come hither, you can also do like kind of a back and forth motion or a tapping motion. Um, some people like really soft, slow G, G spot, G area touch to start. In fact, I always recommend that to just warm up the body uh, some people eventually like it to like get really like fast and vigorous and hot and heavy, but everyone is very, very different uh, in terms of what they like. So I think with fingers, that's the most ideal. There's also sex toys that have curves on them that are specifically designed for the G-spot. Right. And, and in sex positions, I would say um, having a woman on top, so a missionary on top, so like, so the partner, the partner with the penis or the dildo or whatever they're using, they're laying down and then the woman is actually on top and straddling them and then facing them so they can make eye contact. And then um, usually when their body's completely upright, this is a really great position to get to the G spot because usually the dildo or penis is like perfectly curved to hit that part. And then the woman can really move to maneuver herself um, on, on whatever the phallus is that she's working with there. Um, and yeah. And then how do you know if it's being hit? Usually it'll feel like a, a little pressure on the bladder. You'll feel kind of like this juicy pressure that might almost feel like you have to pee a little bit because the bladder is on the other side. If you're worried that you're going to pee, you can go pee and come back and keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Um, or, and then if it, and also part of that, that whole thing of just, just staying with that feeling of, I might feel like I have to pee. That's usually what happens when people are about to ejaculate to actually really just go with it. And most likely you won't pee and you might ejaculate and have a G spot orgasm or just a nice ejaculation. Um, so that's, I think how, you know, how you feel it is usually that pressure that's happening in the bladder that if, and if you're not used to it, it feels kind of different or maybe uncomfortable. It should never be painful. And eventually it should could turn pleasurable g-spot orgasms you can have a you know ejaculation that's not related to orgasm 
or you can have a G-spot orgasm. And I like to define orgasm in a lot of ways um, because people can have orgasms without even touching their genitals. You know, you can breathe yourself into orgasm. But for, for this purpose, we're talking about a genital-based orgasm where the muscles are actually contracting in a pleasurable way when someone's orgasming. G-spot orgasms versus regular, and when they say regular, I assume they mean clitoral, so clitoral orgasm. Um, a G-spot orgasm usually feels more full-bodied, like you can feel it more in your entire body, whereas the clitoral orgasm usually feels more genital-based and is a little bit quicker, like, you know, a second or a quarter of a second or whatever. It's like a little flash into bliss and nirvana, and uh, the G-spot and orgasms usually can be longer and more full-body and just more intense. Okay. Um, yeah. You mentioned a few times in there about pain and stuff like that. So we mm -hmm. have a question relating to that. Um, sex often hurts for me. Is this okay and normal? Uh, back to that point about, you know, mm -hmm. am I normal? Uh, what can I do besides use lots of lube to make this better? Yeah, there's a probably there's a number of things that could be happening here. Um, one, yeah, lube is a thing. Um, two, a lot of people just kind of rush sex and they don't do enough preparation to um, build the arousal before having penetration. They just kind of, and that's kind of the whole thing about living this male centric model slash like we we watch porn and porn shows us all of a sudden you can just shove something in an orifice and it's ready to go, which isn't how it works. Um, so a lot of times people need a lot of warm up and, you know, there's the concept of foreplay and foreplay could be anything from external touch to just kissing, to massage, to talking sexy, you know, all the things that get the juices flowing. Um, and so, yeah, so it could be that this person really just is just rushing it and their body just isn't ready. Like their body isn't ready, but they're just rushing it, putting something inside of them and, um, and, and, and they haven't done enough preparation. Uh, lubrication is another thing. Of course, we already talked about that one. Um, there's also various conditions. Um, I think it's called vaginismus. Oh God. I see I, the medical terms are not like my, my specialty, <laughs> but there are a couple of different conditions where, um, there are actual medical conditions where the muscles are literally clamping down and they have a hard time unclamping. Like they're just really, really tight. And, wow. and so, um, so penetration almost always feels painful for those people. Um, the way to figure out if that's you would be to go to your doctor and have your doctor check it out and tell them that penetration is painful. And they would be able to, um, your gynecologist specifically should be able to tell you um, or help you with that to figure out if it really is a medical issue or um, or not. And not if, if not, then there's, and if it is a medical issue, there's ways to work with it too. But um, that is something that does, that is out there and that does happen. What about penis size as far as that is concerned? Like, is, I mean, is there such thing as basically like too big of a penis that it's just probably going to hurt almost everyone? I mean, yeah, of course, if you're dealing with something that's like, like three or four inches thick, you know, but, <laughs> but, um, vaginas are very elastic and they have the ability to, with the right amount of arousal, they have the ability to stretch and to, um, allow in quite large, large things. You know, people can, people do fisting, vaginal fisting, but usually it takes a lot of time and preparation and lube and heavy, deep breathing and communication to actually get a fist inside, but you can like, right. it, so if you can get a fist in there, then penis size probably wouldn't be an issue. It's more so related to the amount of time you dedicate to pre preparing the body and getting fully aroused and ready. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Um, all right, on to the next question. I feel like my husband and I don't have enough sex. It's not like one of us is turning the other one down. Um, or, or and uh, it's not like we don't have fun when we do have sex. It's just that it never seems to be on the top of our to-do list. What would you recommend to uh, help uh, us start having more sex? Yeah, it's a common one for long-term relationships. And actually, the common one usually is um, someone's just not as interested as the other person. So it sounds like they're both um, they're both interested. It feels good. They're both interested. Uh, but it's just not something that they're initiating um, or making time for. And um, I know people like to be spontaneous. Like they don't like to. I work with a lot of couples where one of them's like, I don't want to plan for sex, but they don't have time. You know, they have busy lives. They both have full time jobs, or maybe they have kids, or whatever it is, where they have really small windows. And when they have a window, quite often one of them's exhausted, or they have something else to do, or so um, making planned times to actually have sex is a thing and is a really smart thing to do. And maybe it takes away some of the spiciness and the sexiness. And so you can still keep it spicy by um, having sex, planning to have sex somewhere that you don't normally have sex, planning to have sex, you know, in the kitchen instead of the bedroom or planning to have sex at a different time than you normally have sex or in different positions or there's so many ways to still spice it up and still plan for it. Um, and to actually find that time. Um, so I think, I think that that's, that's something that I run into with a lot of people and there's some shame around having to plan for it because, Oh, there's something wrong with me that we, we aren't making this a priority. Um, when you, when people start to question their themselves as sexual beings, there's something wrong with me because I'm not feeling like I do this as much as other people do, or I just don't feel like overwhelmingly compelled to just have sex. So, but if you don't, are you still happy? And if you're happy, then what's wrong with that? You know, it's, it's totally, I know, I know plenty of couples that are totally happy having sex like a couple times a month. And I know plenty of couples that would have a big issue with that because sex is really important to them. But if sex isn't really important to you and, you know, like other things are more important to you, like quality time or just shared intimacy without it being sexual, that's totally okay. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. Um, All right. Next question in a different direction. Um, I feel like my vagina smells bad sometimes, but I'm not sure if that's just normal vagina smell or a problem odor. Um, How can I tell the difference? Yeah. um, So vaginal, a lot, a lot of women experience vaginal discharge on the regular and doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Like the vagina is a self-cleaning mechanism. That's awesome. And it's always like producing fluids to push things out, produces its own really healthy bacteria to keep it healthy and clean. Um, With that said, it's easy to throw it off with when you uh, produce unhealthy bacteria into this part of the body. Um, and when, and when that happens and it turns into some sort of infection, that's when the, the smell changes into a bad smell. Um, so usually if it smells just kind of like your normal genital smell slash, like kind of sweet or just not like super pungent where it's going to make your face cringe, that's probably totally fine. If it smells a little, little like fishy or like kind of like some sort of cheese or something like that. Um, or sometimes like there's like a little garlicky smell that comes with it when people have, um, bacterial vaginosis. Um, or, um, yeast infections, yeast infections are usually more with like a fishy smell, although bacterial vaginosis has a fishy smell too. 
um, that's when you might actually have something that needs to be treated and they're easily treated there. And it's, it's really common. Some women get yeast infections all the time because they haven't really figured out how to balance the, um, the, the flora in their body quite yet. And there's really easy ways to balance it. And you can go to naturopathic doctors and who are really good at dealing with that. We're gynecologists as well. But I would just say if something smells uh, fishy, cheesy, garlicky, and just just di- really different than what you're, you're normally used to, then um, then maybe did you get that checked out? But vaginas don't always smell like sunshine and rainbows. Like they have a smell, like, and that's <laughs> totally okay. Um, it's it's completely okay. And again, if you have an issue with it, go to your doctor and literally ask your doctor. Like say, I'm worried that my vagina smells funny, and they will smell it for you and let you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, anything that's uh any part of your body that can be trapped with moisture under clothing is obviously not going to smell super great at the end of the day, you know? Exactly. So you can take a shower and I mean, yeah. And then, and I'm not saying that all vaginas smell terrible too. Like, you know, like sweaty vaginas can smell delicious. I know plenty of people that love the taste and, and smell of vaginas. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's uh, give a little bit more advice on the end of what you were saying about like chronic yeast infections and stuff like that. If this mm-hmm. is a regularly recurring thing um, and people just wanted to get better bacteria down there, what would be your recommendations for that? I'm a big proponent. Of, so like taking oral probiotics are great, but it's more so for digestive health. Um, they don't, those, those probiotics don't usually make it to the vagina. And when you take them orally, um, there are some probiotics that you can buy at health food stores that you can actually insert in vaginally overnight. Like, so say maybe one day you're like, Oh, my vagina smells a little off. You can insert one of these overnight and like let it sit in there overnight, and then the next day it'll just it'll come out on its own, um, kind of in like liquid form. And quite often that helps to balance the um, the flora in in the vagina. So I think that's a really um, easy, natural, healthy way to deal with. And there's a, there's other products and things out there, um, and uh, and diet does have a lot to do with it as well. Um, trying not to be in moist clothing for extended periods of time that can really throw it off. Just introducing any any bacteria. So if you have a if you're getting reoccurring yeast infections with a specific partner, um, it might be your partner's cleaning or cleanliness or hygiene habits. So having them wash their hands before they put their hands inside of you, and same with your own hands, um, or washing their body. You know things like that. It really is just. Um, when you introduce bacteria that your body is not loving and not really prepared to fight, um, especially if your immune system's down, then it's even harder for it to fight. So there's preventative ways to deal with it. And then there's also ways when you actually get the yeast infection. Um, and if you haven't been diagnosed with yeast infection before, I always recommend going to a doctor first because it could be something else. It could be uh, bacterial vaginosis or something else too. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Amy, I just thought of a question that was not sent in, but I feel like you would be the perfect person to answer it. So maybe we can help some women out with this. So you own a sex shop. I'm sure that a very common question that you get from women that come into the sex shop is people that have never had any sort of uh, sex toy before. This is like their very first time buying something and they need advice. Like they're, they're nervous or whatever. And what sort of advice do you give people like that in terms of like their first foray into the sex toy world? Yeah, I always ask, I mean, when people come in, they're like, I want a sex toy. I'm like, well, what kind of sex toy do you want? Because we have so many, you know, there's anal and there's cock rings and there's vibrators. Usually our first time sex toy people are vibrator people. They want to buy their first vibrator and that's like 75% of our clientele. Um, and then we figure out, you know, have you, so you've never owned one before. Okay. So you don't know anything about the vibrations you like. 
Um, I always recommend for people to get something to experiment with internal and external stimulation. It doesn't mean that it has to have like a dual thing where there's something stimulating you inside and outside at the same time, but something that they can use for internal stimulation. Um, so it's big enough for internal stimulation, but also they can pull out and just use it uh, externally on the clitoris. And uh, most most female-bodied individuals are having their orgasms with sex toys on the clitoris externally as opposed to internally, although some definitely do. But, um, you know, the clitoris has like 8,000 nerve endings. That's like where all the pleasure is. And not all of it, but a lot of it. And internally, you don't have as many nerve endings. Internally, you respond more to like pressure and G-spot stimulation. So getting a toy that you can use for um, insertion, but also uh, if, you know, if it vibrates, then it will totally work on the clitoris as well. And um, we have a lot of really good like starter ones that anywhere from a toy that's uh, battery operated to rechargeable. And our favorite brand is called Fun Factory. Their Fun Factory makes the best sex toys um, on the market for vibrators. They're absolutely incredible in, in terms of the sex toys that you can use internally and externally. Cool. Time. They're amazing. What about yeah. advice for men? This It just struck me that this is one single area where the sex world is kind of flipped on its head and where it's, you know, it's totally acceptable and normal, the thought of women using sex toys. It's like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, who doesn't have a vibrator type thing? Mm-hmm. And the idea of a guy using some sort of fake vagina is like, oh, what's wrong with you, man? You know, like, that's yeah. not okay. Um do you have men that come into your shop? What are what do you have advice wise for men with sex toys? Oh, we yeah, we have a lot of men that come in our shop, and we sell a lot of masturbation sleeves to to men, or even to um, people who are buying it for their partners. You know, women buying it for their male partners, and men buying it for their male partners, or whatever it is. They're really, really popular, um, and so we have an array of them of different different styles and brands. You know, there's uh, a lot of them do not vibrate because they provide such intense suction that they don't really need vibrations. And um, it's just the movement and the way they're designed. There's like a little air valve and it allows the air to move through it that provides a suction feeling. And combining that with lube, it literally kind of feels like a mouth or a body part. And um, so I, our, one of our top selling brands is Fleshlight. And Fleshlight is like really well known in regards to the um, the masturbation sleeves that don't vibrate. Um, and then we also have this toy called the Hot Octopus Pulse Solo. That <laughs> is such a great name. I know. And it's awesome. It It's um, a, they call it a guybrator. And what it does is a pulsating a pulsator in the middle of it. So you actually just kind of rest the penis in it. And it has this vibrator, but it's not full like a vibrator. It's actually a piston that goes in and out, so it actually massages the cock and uh, massages someone into orgasm. And they can, we, they can, it can be used whether someone's hard or soft. So that's kind of like the latest, most innovative toy for guys. And we just had, you know, the holidays here a little bit ago, so we sold a lot of those for the holidays. Cool. So that makes me think of another question for both kind of men and women, which is to say if. If a woman is, let's say, worried about the fact that it is she's not uh, coming at all, let's say, during sex, or she's not coming enough, or she's not coming quickly enough, and then if a man is having that same sort of worry, or if a man is having a worry of, I'm coming too quickly, mm-hmm. would you, in any of those situations, dissuade from the people using toys, or uh, encourage them even more to use a toy for some reason? 
Um, yeah. So for, there's the whole thing for, for women, there's the whole, like, if I use a vibrator, it'll numb me out. So I won't be able to respond to my partner. Um, and vibrators don't change your, your biology. They don't change your body. They, um, what happens is your, your, it's all your mind. Like your mind is, your brain is, is your largest sex organ. It's responsible for 90% of your sexual response. (laughs) That's such a good point. And so what's happening usually is that they're using a vibrator and the vibrator gets them off in, you know, one to five minutes. And like, woo, that was awesome. And now I'm using, you know, my partner's hand or my partner's, you know, penis or dildo or whatever it is, or my own hand. And it's taking a lot longer. And so now I'm all in my head because I'm like, why is this taking so long? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with them? I wish I had my vibrator because that one works so much faster. And then they don't have an orgasm because they're so in their head that they're not paying attention to the sensations that are before them. And they're also um, kind of being really impatient. So uh, if that is the case for someone you know, you can kind of, you can wean yourself off of the vibrator and just stop using it or start using lighter vibrations. And, um, you might not have as many orgasms or it might take you longer to have orgasms, but eventually, um, your brain will get used to either the lighter touch or, um, to a different type of touch again. So it's all reversible. It's just really working with the mind. And, um, for men, you know, I, for the, for sex toys, um, I think the main thing for men, I would talk about like pornography as being a, a bigger issue. And I'm a, I'm not anti-porn in any way, shape, or form. Um, but what porn does, it makes it really easy to get aroused and and get off and get off quickly. And a lot of people kind of habituate to that and feel like they they need that to get off because there's this thing that you watch and it produces dopamine so quick in the brain, and all of a sudden you have an orgasm in two minutes. It's the same thing the way that vibrators are working for women and. Um, so for men, if they feel like, you know, then they go and actually have sex with another human and it's taking them a lot longer because there isn't this like quick instant gratification that they're used to this visual stimulation. Of course, there's still like maybe a naked body in front of them, but it's different and it's might maybe not as, um, stimulating. And, um, so it's, again, it's the same process, weaning yourself off of the pornography, um, and just getting used to actual bodies, your own body or someone else's body. And then your brain will get used to that. It takes time and patience and just kind of like reprogramming the mind. And then, and this will actually kind of take care of one of the men's questions for later on, but while we're talking about it, might as well just cover it for men that worry about coming too quickly. Um, could you almost use a, uh, like a flashlight or something like that as, um, I don't know, like something to try to build up stamina, like the way that people, uh, that are baseball players will put like weights on the bat, you know, to like make it more difficult Mm -hmm. or whatever. Is it like you could try to almost do like endurance training with that? Or is that, would you recommend that or would you not recommend that? I it's you know, there is a flashlight called the stamina training unit and the idea behind it is that it is so uh, so like stimulating that um that like that it'll make it so that it'll, you'll last longer with other people um or, or with actual humans because that one is like so intense that when you're with someone else yeah you'll last longer I think that it's possible I think it's definitely possible Um, but I always, I mean, yeah, you can use sex toys to perhaps reprogram the mind and as like a, a a form of practice. And, and I would also look at the deeper underlying issues there. You know, if you feel like you're coming too quickly with your partner, 
um, to look at what's going on there, what's going on in your mind as that's happening, as you're, um, at, you know, what usually people are doing in that is they're psyching themselves out. They're in their head and they're saying, oh, I'm going to come, I'm going to come too quick. I'm going to come too quick. I always come too quick and it's going to happen. I'm not going to last. And they're going to, I'm going to let them down. And then they come, you know, they, they totally set themselves up for that by psyching themselves out. Um, it's, so yeah, instead, exact same mental thing as a woman being like, exactly. I'm not, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to come. I'm not. And see, I yeah. didn't come. And it's like, well, yeah, you were just mm-hmm. saying that the whole time. There's this great book called Come As You Are, uh, talking about coming, but it, <laughs> but um, it talks about, this This author talks about how we're all made of the same parts that are just organized differently. So the issues that you're seeing for men and women are so similar. They're just coming in different forms because of the way we're um, all organized. So it's, it's just really interesting there that there's a lot of overlap there in the, in the way they work. Um, but yeah, for those people who feel like they're coming too quickly, um, to start to pay attention to your internal dialogue, to pay attention to your breath, start to breathe slow, deep breaths, as opposed to like fast paced breathing. Um, and the slow, deep breaths really help to slow down the body and can help to, to bring arousal down. And um, also to work on your muscle control, your muscle tone of your um, PC muscles. This is your pelvic floor muscles. Like everyone has them. Um, if you want to feel them, it would be like that clench you do as if you're midstream peeing and you wanted to stop all of a sudden that, that kind of tightening and doing those exercises regularly can help to strengthen the pelvic floor and can also give you more control over, um, orgasm and ejaculation. Cool. Cool. Um, all right, let's, uh, we got three more questions here that were submitted by women. So we will uh, finish these up. Um, what should I be doing with my partner's balls? I feel like they get left out. No, yeah, don't forget the balls. The balls <laughs> need love too. Um, yeah, balls. Balls are there's a lot of nerve endings and with in balls. Like they love attention. And with that said, I've met many pairs of balls that were um kind of intimidated by touch, either based on past trauma or because they're just so sensitive that they're that the the ball owner is worried. Um, that whoever's going to touch them is going to touch them with too much intensity. Um, so if they're new balls that you've never touched before, I would recommend lightly putting your hand over them, cupping them with your full hand and holding both balls in your hand and then asking your partner, um, do you like having your balls touched? Is this, is this okay? Do you want more pressure, less pressure? You know, communication is very helpful in sex. And a lot of times we are silent and we like to think our partners are psychic, but that's not true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, holding balls and kind of massaging them like those little, have you seen those like those little stress balls that you kind of put two balls in your hand, you can move them around. And yeah, of course. They're always like, sold like, like in Chinatown and stuff exactly. like that. They have yeah, little bells China, inside. Yeah. Chinatown stress balls, holding those in. So holding the balls like as if they are those balls, moving them around this like circular fashion and kind of like massaging them can feel really nice. Some people just like to have them held. Um, or some people really lightly pulled or some people like a lot of pulling, but again, I would totally check in with them before you start to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely don't neglect the balls. I know plenty of people who, um, if their balls aren't touched during sex or, or, or oral sex or whatever it is, it, they feel like a big part was left out for them because they love having their balls touched. And so it's something I would definitely check in with your partner about and, um, not be afraid to um, dive into because the balls are lovely they're just so lovely yeah balls are awesome yeah balls don't forget awesome. them love it <laughs> um all right my ears are really sensitive and sometimes i almost feel like i'm going to have an orgasm when they are being kissed and licked could this actually happen 
Totally. It's happened to me. So <laughs> I, yeah, it, I call it, uh, eargasms and, um, yeah, ears have a lot of nerve endings and, um, can feel really, really pleasurable and arousing and even orgasmic for a lot of people. This is an example of how people can have orgasms without having their genitals touched. Um, so yeah, you, and you have a lot of parts in your body that have a lot of nerve endings that can feel really, um, arousing and in an erotic way. And so for a lot of people, it is ears. So I say, go and explore those ears, kiss ears, lick ears, and, or even, um, uh, light, uh, is it's like if you, if you lick the ear or you have like your tongue kind of lightly in the ear, and then you do this like sucking kind of light inhalation that provides this cooling feeling, it can feel really, really nice. So mm, that sounds yeah, nice. You, yeah. You can have eargasms and they're pretty awesome. Yeah, it sounds like basically just explore all over the place, like balls, yeah. ears, butts, whatever. Yeah. Just go for yeah. it. Go for all of it and get, of course, like check in with your partner yes. before yes. if it's new, new territory. Um, and one, I mean, one thing to consider that, um, you know, there's people in this world who um, once were able to, you know, they're walking around this earth and they were able to um, have feel pleasure in their genitals and then they got a spinal cord injury and now they can't feel pleasure in their genitals anymore and so those people not all of them but some of them have been able to retrain their brain to have orgasms through um touching other parts of their body be it you know nipples or ears or the inner pit of the arm and again this is a good example that your brain is your largest sex organ and that you can essentially train yourself to have pleasure and orgasm anywhere in the pretty much anywhere in the body if you want to if you take enough time um to do so that's great i love that mm -hmm. um all right the last question submitted by women and uh this one's actually we kind of covered this a little bit already um is it true that it is easier for women to have an orgasm while they were while they are on top more so for yeah for g-spot stimulation and also when they're on top they can control more of the the pressure, the stimulation, the movements. Um, a lot of times when women are on top too, it gives them access to rub their, um, their pelvis. So like their clitoris against their partner's body, which means that they can get clitoral stimulation. Um, that's another common question I get from women is, is, um, I don't have orgasms during penetration, but I can from oral sex or from fingers or from masturbation. What's wrong with me? Am I normal? How do I have orgasms from penetration? And, um, it's something like 80% of women need some sort of clitoral stimulation at the same time to have, um, to have orgasms. So when I say need, um, those same women could probably learn to have orgasms plenty of other ways. It's just not everyone wants to de dedicate all that time and energy into doing that. And so what's easier is to learn how to combine clitoral stimulation with penetration. And um, for a woman being on top really gives them access to be able to do that, whether it's from rubbing their genitals or their clitoris on their partner's body or, you know, taking their fingers on themselves and, you know, touching themselves as they're um, on top of their partner. And um, yeah, it just gives them more access. It's a really, really yummy position. And before we go into the questions for the men, um, is there any just overall advice that you could give to people about um, communication and just b being able to like bridge these topics with the people that they are with? Mm. Yeah. Um, don't, don't, don't point things out that you like, you want to change about your partner, like while you're having sex with them or like right after sex or there's when they're naked and vulnerable. It's like the scariest time. If you're like, Hey, 
I want to talk to you about what you just did. I didn't really <laughs> enjoy that. And they're like, oh, my God. And you shattered all their dreams. Um, I recommend quite often trying to talk about um, sexual sexual related issues outside of the bedroom. Um, so maybe you're cooking breakfast together or you're going for a walk down the street or driving the car. And you're just like, hey, I, I really want to bring up this this one thing that came up for me the other day when we were having sex. Are you open to, to talking about this? And also what's really helpful is to use some positive reinforcement. So for every correction that you're going to give, open it with uh, some sort of praise. Like um, instead of like, so the other day when you were touching my clitoris that one way, it was too hard and too fast and I didn't love it. Um, instead, start, start with like the other day when you were rubbing my clitoris, it felt, it felt really good. And I feel like it felt even better if you were slower and softer and, you know, so you're still giving them praise and letting them know that they're not fucking everything. Can I say fuck on here? Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That they're not fucking everything up and reminding them that they're still doing a wonderful job and that there's always room to learn and grow. And, you know, we're, we're, we're just like big kids. You know, this is like the same kind of thing you would use for children. If you wanted to educate them on something, you don't just like tell them what they're doing wrong because then you're creating sad, shameful kids who don't feel like they're worthy of anything. Um, you give them some praise and then you give them some sort of like guidance or suggestion Absolutely. Um, as opposed to just like a correction. I love that. Now, yeah. what about in terms of Almost being on the uh, receiving end of that, but so let's say your partner um, opens up to you about something that they would like to try. Like, let's say they're like, um, "I want to be tied up," or "I want I want to tie you up," or you know, some whatever it is. I want to play with your butt, and the person who is receiving that news is is kind of, has never tried that before and is feeling kind of uncomfortable. Um, I guess where where do you go from here? Is it like do you recommend that they that they do try the thing that they that sounds uncomfortable to them, or do you? Uh, yeah, like I, I guess what advice do you give couples there? Yeah, um, I think it, this is a matter of self awareness and also um, kind of like empowerment and getting really clear on your yeses and your noes. So of course, if something is new, quite often it sounds a little like scary or uh, uncomfortable. That's just what newness does to us. Like we're comfortable with what we're used to and something new. We're like, oh, well, I'm not used to that. So I'm scared. And to check in with yourself, am am I getting a really big no as in if I do it, it's it's just going to like freak me out and it's going to not, it's not, I already know it's not for me. Like I can tell that this thing is going to be really just not my thing. Then stick with your no. If you're getting a maybe and like a, huh, that sounds a little different and a little uncomfortable, but I might like it, but I'm just a little unsure about it because I don't know a lot about it or I've heard, you know, X, Y, and Z about it. Uh, then maybe you could give it a try if you're getting a maybe. But again, I, I really push people to honor their no's and to check in with themselves um, because when we dive into things that we have a big no on already and then we still do it, then we create our own trauma in ourselves. Yeah. Um, and of course, if you're getting a yes, then yeah, go ahead and do it. But um, I use this diagram. So imagine if you have like one, one, there you have a circle and then outside that circle is another circle around it, like a ring around it. And outside that is another ring. The middle circle is comfort zone. This is where we like to hang out in. This is what we're used to. You know, this is, there's nothing new happening here. This is just like, this feels good because this is what I usually do. Um, that circle outside of that is 
the stretch zone. And that's when things are uncomfortable because they're new. And we're really stretching ourselves to learn something or try something new. That's where the learning and the growing comes in. That's where we actually evolve and learn new things and um, discover new pleasure. And then outside of that, that last ring is panic. That's when we're like, holy shit, get me out of here. I'm not learning anything because I'm so in pain or terrified or whatever it is. We don't want to go in panic. We go in there on accident all the time. When you get there, get yourself out, bring your back in, take a step back into the stretch zone. You also don't want to hang out in comfort all the time because then nothing new and exciting happens. This is like your couples that have been together forever that only have sex, you know, once a month in at the same time in the same position. And they're like, huh, I wonder why our sex life is, bro- is boring. It's because they're not stretching outside of their comfort zone. That's what they're used to. Um, so just really trying to, if you want to spice things up, trying to go into the stretch zone, you know, it's a little uncomfortable. It's a little different, but it's not panicky. And so I can hang out here and if it gets panicky, then I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm done, you know, but just to really check in with yourself. It's about, it's a big matter of uh, awareness. So you talking about the comfort zone and the stretch zone makes me think though, if you're constantly trying to, um, invite new things in and live in the stretch zone, does that, I mean, are, are there enough different things sexually that you could keep a relationship uh, exciting for 40 years or something or or is that almost like you're you're creating you're creating this like problem because it's like we need to do something more we need to do something more we need to do something mm. more and eventually it's like you kind of just need to be satisfied with what you have yeah uh, I think I think that that's a good question and that brings up the you know the idea of pressure and pressure is just not good in any way shape or form for sex drive it just doesn't it, pressure creates panic zone it really like people freak out and pressure and they don't feel good and they get stuck in their heads and they don't really have the ability to to learn so yeah you don't you probably don't want to constantly be pressuring yourself or your partner to like always be doing something new. Um, and sometimes when we learn something new, what happens is we learn something new and we're like, oh, this is like, say you discover that anal play is great for you too. And you're like, woo, this is fun. We're going to incorporate more anal play into our sex lives. And you do that for like a year, you know, you have a year of it. Somehow there's always fingers finding their way in asses or whatever it is. And it feels great. (laughs) And then after a while you start to habituate to that, it still feels good but it just isn't creating as much excitement as it used to. So then you're like, okay, well, let's look for something new now. And maybe it's now we're going to start tying each other up or now we're going to become swingers and have sex with other people or whatever it is. Or, you know, so it, it really just depends. And it depends on, again, how important, um, the, like the freshness and the excitement of sex is to you. You know, if, if again, a lot of people are very comfortable with just having, um, sex once in a while or just having like the same old sex is it's it's it just because society says that you should be having sex all the time it should be really juicy and exciting doesn't mean that that is what you should really do hey everyone it's blake i hope you all enjoyed the episode with amy don't forget that on thursday's episode we will have part two to this interview where we cover all the questions that were sent in from male half hour intern listeners so that will be coming up on thursday thanks so much for listening